This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, we're continuing our study of this epistle that the Apostle Paul penned uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit uh, to the church at Corinth. We know that the Corinthian church was a gifted church. The Bible said they came behind in no gift. But we also understand that they were a carnal church as we read through this entire book, we're going to find that the Apostle Paul is dealing with problems in the church. He begins in chapter 1 dealing with the problem of division and the fact that they were divided along the lines of personalities, following men, and they had allowed that division, that preference of their personality that following that they had developed of men rather than God uh, to cause division in the church. We come to chapter 3. The Apostle Paul is still dealing uh, with that theme. He's also dealt with the carnality of their minds and their thinking according to the thinking of the world. The Greek culture, which was dominant and prevalent in those days, was an intellectual culture. Uh, one that lifted and magnified, lifted high and magnified the philosophies of mankind and which scoffed at the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was into this city that the apostle Paul came preaching the gospel and many souls were saved uh, through much opposition. Finally, a church was established And the Apostle Paul spent 18 months at the church in Corinth. As far as we have a record, that was the longest stay that he made in his missionary journeys. After 18 months there, he left. And sometime after, uh, we learned that Apollos, who is mentioned here in uh, this letter and will be mentioned again here in chapter 3, Apollos became the pastor of this church and preached there for a season. In spite of all of that, we come to chapter 3, the Apostle Paul expecting, of course, to discover that this church is growing and thriving. He is reproving them. And we come to chapter 3 and verse number 1, and we read these words, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you, as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not yet carnal? And walk as men. 
For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the privilege that is ours tonight to come together and to hear your word. I pray that you would help us to hear from you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would enable me and empower me to communicate the truth of your word. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us understanding and clarity, that we would hear from you. And Lord, in this area that deals with the carnality of our own lives. May we receive this reproof from you. May we confess our sin, and may we be conformed to the image of your Son. We pray that you'll be magnified and glorified through this, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse number 3, we see Paul's statement concerning this church at Corinth. He says, for ye are yet carnal. He goes on to say, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal? Again, in verse 4, he asks the question at the close of the fourth verse, are ye not carnal? It's the title of the message this evening, Are Ye Not Carnal? Are Ye Not Carnal? If God by His Spirit comes to us with His measuring tape, if He is to take our measurements this evening, the measurements of our spiritual maturity, to see if we've been conformed to the, match, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ, how would we measure up? Would we measure up as spiritual, mature individuals, or would we fall far short? If we as a church took our spiritual measurements, what would they reveal? The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth with this difficult news to deliver. His conclusion is that they were carnal and not spiritual. I remember years ago, uh, my parents were attending a church and the pastor took a position concerning the millennium and the return of Christ that was contrary to that which my parents believed. I was just a little boy. I didn't understand much about it. But I do remember the pastor coming to my home. 
I was quite annoyed that he was there because I was watching television. And he was interrupting my television time. It's amazing what you can remember, isn't it? As he was discussing his position, which was not consistent with the position that we take in our church concerning the millennium and the return of Christ, I think he told my parents that they were carnal. Well, as you can imagine, that didn't go over too well. Fortunately, there was no bloodshed in the home that day. Just, I missed my television show. I'm grateful that that happened because that led my parents to look for a different church. One that they found is the one I grew up in, and I thank God for that. Now, it may have been true, forgive me, Mother, that there might have been some carnality. <laughs> I said it may have been true. I'm trying to be humble here. It may have been true. But certainly when it came to that position, that was not a matter of spirituality or carnality. That was a frustrated preacher who wanted them to accept his position. The Apostle Paul is writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's writing to uh, a group of believers that he had the pleasure and joy of serving as the midwife to watch these new newly born spiritual babes enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he was there to watch it happen. He nourished them. He loved them. For 18 months, he preached to them. He left them in the Lord's hands, who ultimately led Apollos to minister to them, and very capably he did so. But as the Apostle Paul received word concerning the condition of the church and the things that plagued them, their division, their pride, their intellectualism, their fornications and adulteries, the lack of charity among them, their covetousness as they coveted to have gifts so they might not necessarily magnify the Lord, but that they might magnify themselves. His conclusion here is that they were carnal. I'm sure that was very tough news for them to receive, but nevertheless, it was true. Now, we're going to note three things here this evening. Number one, we're going to see the condition of their carnality, the condition of their carnality. Then secondly, the cause of their carnality. And then finally, the cure for their carnality. We note, first of all, the condition of their carnality. We notice it in verses 1 and 2. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto... Ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. We notice that he begins by addressing them as brethren. If 
we did not have the benefit of that word. This is also how he begins chapter 2, addressing them as brethren. If we did not hear him address them that way, we might, as we read this letter, conclude that they were not truly born again because their actions and their attitudes would betray the fact that they were brethren. You see, positionally, that's who they were. They were Paul's brothers and sisters in Christ. We see also as he closes verse number one, he refers to them as babes in Christ. Now, this was not a compliment, but nevertheless, it did settle their identity that they were in Christ. These are believers. So positionally, they belonged to Christ. They were in Christ. Positionally, they were sanctified by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was dwelling in them. That was their position. But practically, that is not the way in which they were living. How were they living, Pastor? Well, we notice it in verse 1 again. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. I, I did not see that you were living as a spiritual person. Rather, I write to you because you are living as a carnal person. Though positionally you are in the spirit, the spirit is in you practically. That is not how you're living your life. Practically, you're living your life in the same way that the men of this world live their lives. So Paul's evaluation of the Corinthian church led him to conclude that the church was not spiritual but carnal. They were not spiritually mature. They were spiritual babies, infants. Therefore, they could not receive the meat of spiritual truth, only milk. And because of that, they were not growing. They were not able to digest the food that would require for them to grow. That food was choking them, and the milk was all that they could receive. It was an endless cycle. If you can't eat the food, you can't grow. And if you can't grow, you can't handle the food. When a baby's born, it begins on a diet of milk and maybe formula. Then perhaps graduating to uh, baby food. Eventually, uh, in our household, sometimes they graduate to Cheerios first. Once those teeth start coming in. And slowly but surely, they begin to eat heavier things, substantive things, things that they need. And God equips them as they grow to not only receive the food and to consume the food, but to digest the food. And as they digest it, they are built up in their bodies. The Apostle Paul says to these people, you are overgrown babies. Have you ever met a spiritual baby 
You know, I thought about titling this message, Big Baptist Babies. <laughs> I know a lot of them. I am one of them sometimes. And so are most of you. Churches are filled with big Baptist babies. People have been saved for years, but who have not grown in the Lord. Positionally, they belong to Christ, but practically, they live at times as if they do not know him. And so the question comes down to carnal or spiritual. Both of those realities exist in us at the same time. Positionally, when you became a Christian, the Spirit of God came to dwell within you. You were made just. You were transformed. You were made a new creature in Christ Jesus. The life of God came to dwell within you. He changed you from the inside out. At the same time, we still have a body of flesh. And this body of flesh has not been redeemed. This body of flesh, this outward man perishes. This outward flesh is corrupt and prone to death and prone to the appetites of the flesh. Our carnal minds are not regenerated. We have the mind of Christ, we have the Spirit of God, but we also have the flesh that is hanging on to us. One day, we will be delivered from this body of death and the sinful tendencies of it. You see, as we live in this world as believers, we're really fighting two forces that are pulling against us. Uh, like the forces of gravity which pull us down, there are two forces that pull down the believer. Number one is the force of the system of this world. The world is antithetical to Christ. The world is against Christ. The system of this world is the system of the antichrist. Satan is the God of this world. And Satan uses the world to tempt believers to draw them away from the Lord Jesus. That's why we need to be careful about the things of this world and what we allow, uh, as far as the things of this world, what things we allow into our hearts and minds. The entertainment, the music, the philosophies and the secular thinking of this world, which truly permeates our hearts and minds, even when we don't recognize it or realize it. So Satan uses the world to, to pull us down, and here's the church at Corinth, and the, the, the believers in Corinth are living in a wicked city, a city filled with intellectualism that rejects the truth of the gospel, that rejects who the true and the living God is, a city that is filled with immorality, that while, while the true and living God is, is diminished and ridiculed and scoffed at, these idols are magnified and glorified, and, and uh, the whole culture, promotes their worship. And then immorality results. The wickedness, as I said a moment ago, when people wanted to speak about debauchery and wickedness in the world, they would use the term, you are playing the Corinthian. Now, Corinth was a wicked city. It was not easy to be a Christian in that culture. 
And it is not easy to be a Christian in this culture today. And so the world was a force that was opposing them. But there was another force, and that force is the flesh. That is that carnal nature. It resists the operation of the Spirit of God within a man. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5 says that the flesh lusteth against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. He said these two are contrary. We've often talked about Romans chapter 7, and Paul said, I want to do right, but I can't do it. Why is that, Paul? Because I have this body of flesh. I don't want to sin, but I, I find myself doing it. Why is that, Paul? Because I have this body of flesh. Then he said, who should deliver me from this body of death? The answer came in Romans chapter 8. The Lord Jesus Christ has come to deliver me. Positionally, yes. One day, I will be delivered from the very presence of this old body. I will be delivered into heaven. I'll receive a new body, and I will not be plagued with this flesh any longer. But until then, practically, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I am not under the yoke of sin. I am no longer, as he said in Romans chapter 6, the servant of sin. I do not have to yield my members as instruments of unrighteousness. I can yield myself to the Holy Spirit. I can trust in God. I can fill myself with his truth, and I can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But I want to tell you that that doesn't happen by getting a good dose every once in a while. That only happens to us as we maintain a daily walk with the Lord. And we will not be filled with the Spirit unless we fill our heart and mind with the Word. Because the Spirit works in accordance to the Word. And so, friends, we cannot neglect the daily needs of our own soul in entering into the presence of God, in communion and fellowship with him, entering into the word of God and allowing the word of God to speak to us and illuminate our mind and our heart and quicken our mortal bodies and move us to yield to him and walk in the power of the Spirit, to recognize in the moment of temptation that I cannot resist this in my own strength. Maybe I'm angry and I want to lash out. Maybe I'm tempted and I want to fulfill some desire of my flesh. Maybe there's envy or jealousy in my heart and I want to say something or do something to harm someone in some way so that I can benefit. I want something that they have. I want to act in accordance to my flesh, but not in accordance to the Spirit. I'm tempted to do that many times a day, and so are you. If I'm going to live above that, I must live in the power of the Holy Spirit, and I cannot live in the power of the Holy Spirit unless I'm dwelling in the presence of God and in his word. Well, these Corinthian believers were not doing that. They were not relying upon the Lord. They were not communing with the Lord. They were acting and reacting, thinking like unregenerate people. They were in a struggle. The Christian life, the life of the Spirit within a man, 
is akin to a man or to a fish, rather, swimming upstream. The forces of the world and the forces of his flesh are pulling against him. Uh, one commentator said this, worldliness goes much deeper than bad habits. It's an orientation, a way of thinking and believing. Basically, it is buying into the world's philosophies, buying human wisdom. It is looking to the world, to human leaders, to influential and popular people, to neighbors, associates, and fellow students for our standards, attitude, and meaning. Worldliness is accepting the world's definitions, the world's measuring sticks, and the world's goals. When you think about what shapes your goals and your thinking, what is it? You know, it's uh, amazing in the social media age, we have people who are called influencers. They even refer to themselves that way. Influencers. What are they influencing us to do? Social media is a fake world. Have you figured that out? The pictures and the images that you see, many of them are filtered distorting the body, making people appear to be more lovely than they actually are. No one ever posts their dirty kitchen pictures on Facebook. No, they just show the wonderful spread or the clean kitchen or the clean home. It's all about portrayal and image and what you can project. What are the influences that we're listening to? What are the influences that these young people are listening to? The music of this world and its message, which is anti-God. You know, we had preachers for a generation try to tell us that, and they were scoffed at and ridiculed. Now look at where we are today. the thinking and philosophies of this world that tell us that our children need certain things to be successful. And while we pursue those things, we neglect the spiritual things, the meaningful things. And though they might find success in the world, we're setting them up for, for failure in their spiritual lives. This is the thinking of the world. It creeps into our minds. It affects us on a daily basis in our decisions what we're doing, we often think like the world thinks. And while our ultimate triumph over the world is certain, and our ultimate triumph over the flesh is certain, while we're on earth, we continue to struggle. And that's exactly what's happening here with the Corinthian believers. They are struggling. And Paul refers to them as carnal, literally men of the flesh. If we did not know better, we would not know that they were saved because the way they lived was as Solomon who lived his life apart from God. Remember, Solomon had a great beginning, right? He prayed for wisdom and God gave it to him. But at some point, his wives turned his heart away from the Lord. 
He began to pursue the things of this world. In Ecclesiastes, he tells us he had all of the wives he could possibly want. He had all of the wealth he could possibly want. He had accomplished all the works that one could possibly seek to accomplish. He enjoyed all the mirth and all the pleasures of this world. And he said of his life, I hated it. I was miserable. I was unhappy. He lived his life as a man who did not know God apart from God under the sun without him. And there are a lot of people who've been saved who have not walked in the spirit, who do not uh, seek to honor God and live for God, who do not uh, depend upon him uh, moment by moment, who are falling victim to the snares of Satan that Paul wrote of in Second Timothy chapter number 2, and they live their life as unregenerate people. They're not unregenerate people, but they live their lives in such a fashion. Now, ultimately, if they are saved people, we understand that they cannot continue in that path. If they belong to God, then God will continue to deal with them and he will chasten them. So we find here that these believers are struggling and they have yielded not to the Spirit of God, but they have yielded to the flesh and they have a condition, a dreadful condition that many of us suffer with. In fact, all of us deal with it, the condition of carnality. Positionally, they were saved, the Spirit of God dwelling in them, practically, they were carnal. We note, secondly, the cause of their carnality. What brought this on? What stunted their growth? You know, babies are cute, right? We got to see a lot of them today. They were all three and under. Imagine carrying your 18-year-old up here or your 24-year-old or your 30-year-old. This is what Paul is looking at. He's looking at people who should have been much further down the road. They should have been walking, but they're still crawling. They, they should have been eating meat and potatoes, but they're still taking the milk. You see, when you're carnal, you cannot handle a diet of God's word and truth. By the way, the church today, Many within the church and many churches across the country are only interested in giving a diet of milk. It's hard to offend people with milk, but you'll only grow with meat. And may God help us to enter in. Now we see the cause of their carnality here in verse number three. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying, that's one of the causes, and strife, that's another cause, and divisions. Are ye not carnal and walk as men? So he, he gives us an example of what he's talking about. He said, for while one saith, I am of Paul, and another saith, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? 
So here we go, back to the fact that they were divided over personalities. There were people in the church, and they said, Paul, Paul, he's our man. If he can't do it, nobody can. And the others were saying, two bits, four bits, six bits, a dollar, all for Apollos, stand up and holler. They were divided by people, personalities. You know, Baptists are known for that. Independent Baptists are known for that, right? Being divided over people, over personalities. You know what Paul said about that? He said, that's not spiritual. That is carnal. So what was the cause of their carnality? Well, number one, we see envy. Envy. They were filled with envy. This reflects an inner attitude. They were envious. They wanted what somebody else had. This was an attitude. It wasn't always apparent, although it would become apparent. But it was in their hearts. It was within them, boiling up in them. This attitude of jealousy the complete word study Bible is it defines this word envy in the reference, defines it this way. It is an attitude which causes the man to grieve, the man who is filled with it, envy. It causes the man to grieve not because another has the good, but that he himself does not have it and seeks to supply the deficiency in himself. Let me give you an example. You know that I cannot sing. I thank you for not saying amen right there. You know that I can't tell a joke and get a laugh unless it's at me or sympathetic. There are people here who can sing. Well, let's imagine that... Uh, uh, one of the men gets up to sing and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, I wish I could sing like that fella. But I can't. Now, it might be a natural response for me to say, I wish I could sing that way, but here's, here's where the danger comes when I think, boy, I tell you what, I don't like that guy. You know, who does he think he is up here singing? Why aren't they asking me to sing? Well, that's pretty obvious if you've heard me, right? I, I wish I could sing like that. In fact, not only do I wish I could sing that way, I wish he couldn't because I don't like him. Now, you might be shocked and horrified to know that Christian people think that way, but most of you aren't because most of you know that that kind of attitude dwells within all of us, right? Why do they have a new car? Why don't I have a new car? Why does everything seem to go their way? Why, why doesn't anything go my way? You see, this attitude of envy goes beyond just wanting something. It goes, it goes to a level where not only do we want something, but we want those who have it to not have it. Here they're divided by personalities. They wanted power. They wanted influence. They wanted their crowd to be the in crowd, the right crowd, the acceptable crowd. They may have used doctrine. They may have used biblical uh, precepts to, to somehow justify their envy. 
but that's what they were filled with. And discerning people know it and recognize it when we see it. And Paul is calling them out for it. Envy. The internet is filled with it. The groups that debate online and attack each other, who portray themselves as spiritual, reveal their carnality by their endless attacks, by their language, by their tone, by their attitude, by their harsh words. Be careful who you follow. Envy. It usually grows out of a heart of bitterness. Someone has something that you don't have. You think you deserve it. And so in order for you to have it, you put down those who you think do have it. That leads to an action, this attitude does. What's the action? Well, the action is defined for us here in verse 3. There is among you envying, and the next word is what? Strive. There's fighting. There's contention. Strife was the action that resulted from the attitude of envy. You see, we want something. We don't want them to have it. We want what they have. So in order to get it, we're going to fight with them. We're going to wrangle with them with our words. There's going to be contention. We're going to call them names, and we're going to trump up things and make accusations against them. We're going to say little, you know, uh, little comments on the side to innocent bystanders so as we can cause and cast doubt in, in the minds of people about that person and, and therefore magnify ourselves. That, that's strife. And that was happening in the church. Things were being said. Things were being done. You know what the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 10? It's a great reference and a great reminder for us all. Only by pride cometh contention. When there's argumentation and strife and fighting, there is at the root of it pride. And pride is sin. It's the original sin. So the cause of their carnality, envy and strife, and then this envy and strife leads to division. There were divisions in the church, dissension or separation. These are the things that stunt the believer's growth, that damage the unity of the spirit in a church, and it ultimately hampers its effectiveness. A fighting, debating, striving church is not a healthy church. It's a carnal church. It's not a spirit-filled church. It's a carnal church. It's not a mature church. It's a babyfied church, and that babyfied church will not be able to do the work that God has called them to do. And these two problems, these three problems really are just merely a representative of the many symptoms that we fight with the flesh. Sinful desire is like cancer. It has many forms and affects many parts of the church in many ways, and all of them are destructive. Not just jealousy and envy, 
all types of things. And remember now, our flesh is susceptible to this. It dwells within us. It has the, the, the propensity at any moment, like the measles, to break out all over us or like cancer that spreads to all of our vital organs. We must recognize this about ourselves, and we must learn to walk in the Spirit and keep the flesh in check. Well, then we come to the last thing, and that is the cure. We've seen the condition, and we've seen the cause, but now we find the cure. Look at it in verse 5. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? So Paul asks here a question. What is he trying to do? He's trying to get them to think. He's trying to get them to think. Sometimes when people are arguing and self-willed and in contention, it's hard to get them to stop and think because they've already made up their mind. But here the apostle is saying, wait a minute, fellas. Let's stop and think for a moment. Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? Let me tell you who they are. They are ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. Verse 6, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Yeah, we're just ministers. We're just servants. We, we're just the guys who perform the menial tasks. We're the waiters at the restaurant. We're the busboys. We're, we're just simply serving what God has provided. That's all we're doing. We're not of consequence. Well, who is of consequence? Verse 7. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now we know who is of consequence here. God is. What have we come to do today? We've come to worship God. Who is it that we seek to honor and please? Paul? No. Apollos? No. Some other pastor, some Sunday school teacher, some prominent theologian? No. We're here to serve God. We're grateful for all those people, but they're just servants. They're waiters. They're busboys. Now, yes, we should honor them. Yes, we should respect them. Yes, we should treat them as such. But we have to understand, we're not here for them. We're here to worship God. Hey, that'll keep us out of the contention and strife. Verse 8, now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. They're, they're, they're united. What are they united in? They're united in their relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're united by their purpose. What is their purpose? It's to honor him and to minister to God's people. You see, one may be planting and another may be watering, but they have one purpose, and that is to see a crop. And while they plant and while they water, that's all that they can do. It is only through the supernatural power of God that that seed in the ground that is dead comes to life and brings forth fruit. Only God can do that. So we get to drop seeds and 
care of the water can. Praise God. And you know what we get to see? A barren field spring up into life and beauty. That's what we get to see. And if we're not careful, we'll stand around and go, I planted that row. Oh, really, Mr. Big Shot? It was God who gave the increase. I watered that row over there. It was God who gave the increase. So be quiet and bow in awe to him and understand that he's given you the greatest privilege you could ever have. Verse 9, for we are laborers together with God. You know what you and I get to do every day? We get to serve God together with him. The Bible says in Mark chapter 16, the Lord working with them. We get to work alongside the Lord. What greater thing can you do but to work alongside him? He is with us. We're just tagging along. He deserves all the glory, does he not? He gives the increase. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. The cure for their carnality was just, hey, hey, let's fix the way you think. Let's fix the way you think. This church does not depend on you and your ingenuity and your talent or anyone else and their ingenuity and their talent. This church is here as a supernatural act of the work of God. The churches that dot the landscape of North Carolina all across the country are not here because of the dynamic, powerful personalities. We buy into that, and let me tell you why we buy into that. We buy into that because our flesh thinks that way naturally. And the world tells us this. And we bring this thinking into the church, and it results in envy and contention and strife and division, and we see it. And I, I don't want to be a part of it but sometimes I find myself being a part of it. And I have to recognize that. And I have to learn to say, Lord, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Apollos is nobody. Paul is nobody. But you are worthy. And so may God help us. We do not want to be stunted babies, do we? We want to be mature people. So how do we grow? Well, I think we have to recognize, number one, that we are all carnal and prone to carnality. We have to identify we're in a struggle. And you don't win the struggle by doing what you've been doing. You win the struggle by changing what you're doing. And then we have to identify What's causing it? Envy? Strife? Division? Wrong thinking? Lust? Pride? 
all of these things, and we confess it to God, and we seek his forgiveness and his cleansing. And then we say, Lord, correct our thinking and help us to stay on track. There's a world outside of this church, a world of people who believe like we do, and a culture within the church and within churches. And while we are impacted somewhat by that, the truth of the matter is that our church answers directly to the Lord Jesus. So we don't have to get caught up in that, do we? No. We just need to get caught up in him. So let's take out the measuring tape. Let's let the Spirit of God take out the measuring tape. Is there jealousy? Is there bitterness? Is there unforgiveness? Is there resentment in our hearts? If so, it's a sure sign that though we can walk, we're still carrying a pacifier and a blanket. And we need the Lord to work on us. We need to get rid of that stuff. And we need to allow God to give us the strength to take on the meat of the word of God, not just the milk. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.